Cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, July 15th, 2011. As I come limping into the finish line here. <laughs> tuning in you're listening to fighting for the faith my name is chris roseborough and i am your servant in jesus christ and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment the goal of which help you think biblically help you think critically and help you compare what people are saying in the name of god to the word of god sadly there's no shortage of crazy things being said out there uh it's all needless because if you want to hear god open up your bible read it you can hear the you know, um yeah, God's word is right there for us and black and white. You, you can trust it. All this other stuff that's being said. Um, yeah, I don't think these people are really hearing from the Holy Spirit because over and again, what they say is contradicted by what God has already revealed in his word. So we trust God's word. This other stuff, yeah, not so much. Not so much. So uh, anyway, yesterday I was out of studio. I was uh, speaking at the uh, Quorum Deo Higher Things Conference. Maybe it's Higher Things Quorum Date. Yeah, I reverse that. I was speaking at the Higher Things Conference uh, this year's uh, theme, Quorum Deo. So I and I, uh, I gave two sectional speeches on uh, Rob Bell's, uh, you know, love wins. You know, in trying to introduce kids to uh, uh, the dangers of Rob Bell and and why we <clears throat> should not be. Um, embracing his love wins concepts anyway it was a, it was a fantastic event great day and uh next week i'm going to be on vacation uh part of my vacation will be spent uh, <laughs> uh lecturing at the quorum deo conference in atlanta so you know it's, it's you know but that anyway i'm, I'm planning on <sighs> just relaxing a little bit just unwinding and and uh having a little bit of time out of studio, uh, out of uh, out of the stage, just relaxing. So that's the idea. So anyway, so uh, next week I will be out of studio. There will be no uh, there will be no new editions of Fighting for the Faith next week. Everything will be best of. 
stuff and uh and you know i probably will just pick stuff randomly you know pull out the old fighting for the faith roulette wheel and just you know you know just put the episode numbers and just where the ball drops that'll be what's playing on that particular day i i don't know but anyway <sighs> so uh, i'm i'm uh, limping into the finish line here as i'm getting ready to uh to uh, go on vacation so um one of the th- well let's talk about what we're going to talk about uh, on today's edition of fighting for the faith one of the things we do here at fighting for the faith is, uh, you know, uh, it, as a public service to our listeners, um, you know, uh, we pass along some of the words of knowledge that, uh, <clears throat> boy, I hate even calling it that, when, especially since it comes from the Patricia King gang. Um, well, let's just say they claim to be getting words of knowledge, prophetic words from God, the Holy Spirit. And, you know, they they actually put videos together sharing these. And so I've got three, uh, you know, we're, we're a little back, we're a little backed up, we're a little behind in uh, in sharing these words of knowledge. So uh, today I've got uh, three words of knowledge, one from uh, Patricia King, two from Melissa Fisher from the Extreme Prophetic website. You know, again, these are just public service announcements. The, you know, the, this this is our public service to you because, you know, we don't know who these, you know, these prophetic words are for. I mean, it's, so it could be somebody in our audience. And, and, you know, I always feel bad when, you know, here they've got these, words of knowledge from the Holy Spirit that at least they claim to be getting them from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and then when I look at how many times the video has been viewed, you know, maybe four, five, six, seven hundred times, I'm realizing maybe they haven't uh, figured out the most efficient vehicle for getting out those words of knowledge. So, uh, you know, from time to time we pass these along. Um, I've got an article that was written earlier this year that I'm going to be reading from Pastor Brian Wolf Mueller entitled Three Broken Ladders. Three blo- uh, Broken Ladders. Uh, we got that. I got news regarding a megachurch, a, a seeker-driven megachurch in Las Vegas is uh, <clears throat> fighting foreclosure and uh, seeking bankruptcy. So uh, that's kind of interesting, maybe. I've also got a story about uh, the uh, one of the stars of the uh, television show Sister Wives, which is... Uh, story about Mormon polygamy, kind of a reality TV show based on well, Mormon polygamy. Uh, apparently, uh, uh, yesterday, uh, she filed suit uh, in the state of Utah to uh, in order to legalize polygamy. So we'll take a look at that. Um, I keep saying I want to get to this story, but how can Jesus be the only way? I, I want to get to that today. And I want to spend a little bit of time listening to Rob Bell's uh, interview on... Um, on PBS, and so I want to play for you audio from that, a little bit of audio from it. So you know, there's lots of things we got to get to today. So um, you know, and then our hour number two, we're going to be listening to a good sermon uh, by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley entitled "Kindness Rejected." Kindness rejected, which I thought would be an appropriate sermon to uh, review today in light of uh, the Rob Bell stuff that we're going to be doing today. So, you know, get your seatbelts on, uh, helmets, tinfoil pyramid hats, uh, bendy straws, duct tape, adult beverage, fuzzy bunny slippers. You'll need all of that today. So, uh, you know, and uh, let's just dive into the program proper. Here we go. Okay, so as promised, uh, this is part of our, you know, again, this is a public service to our listeners. Um, 
this the sad sadly this video has only been viewed 300 times and uh you know it's just it's just terrible um uh Melissa Fisher from the Extreme Prophetic Gang uh one of you know she's part of Patricia King's gr- uh, groupies and uh, you know they 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 are very ext- uh, well prolific in their publishing of videos on the xpmedia.com website and unfortunately this particular word of knowledge that Melissa Fisher claims that she got from the Holy Spirit has only been viewed 300 times and the name of it by the way is ranch dressing so here is um this is our service. We're passing this along in order to get a bigger audience. So that if this is for you, you know, well, you know, you you finally got to hear it. Here we go. We're going to love this. So pay close attention. The Lord gave me two words, ranch dressing. Where are you at the salad bar at Sizzler? And I begin to ask him about what he means by that. And what he said is like, you know what? Ranch dressing is like a favorite of theirs. But what I actually want to say to them is ranch blessing. Now, this is for a group of people out there. You are actually wanting to buy a ranch because you want to use it for the Lord. It's like either a ranch. So, okay, I'm confused. Ranch dressing is used on salads. Um, Why would God the Holy Spirit say to you, ranch dressing when in reality they're talking about a real bonafide like you know ranch doesn't make any sense unless of course they're going to be growing salads there at the ranch or a big property with a lot of acreage and god says he is blessing you with it and he wants to give you a scripture because you've had a lot of opposition to getting this property and here's what it is is in zechariah 10 5 Zechariah ten five. Uh, uh, why 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 am I having a hard time believing that Zechariah ten five has anything to do with ranch dressing? It says they shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the riders on the horse shall be put to shame. That is a sure word of the Lord. So that property is yours. The Lord is fighting with. I don't think that passage in Zechariah is referring to cattle ranches or people buying a ranch anywhere. Oh, the battle is almost done, but take it and stand on it because you are victorious. Stand on the scripture. It's yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Careful. Watch your balance while standing on that scripture. <laughs> yeah. You could fall and hurt yourself. Okay. So that... <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have passed that along. Hang on a second. Hopefully the second one will be better. Here's Patricia King uh, you know, uh, uh, with a word of knowledge for some. But this has only been viewed 277 times. Sad. This is absolutely just pathetic. Um, you know, he, he, I mean, so this could this could be you about you. Uh, here's Patricia King talking about divine alignment. Someone watching has a um, a problem with your spine and it's causing a lot of back pain and a lot of discomfort and it's because it's out of alignment. And right now, the Holy Spirit is going to be like the divine chiropractor to you and bring everything. Yeah, the Holy Spirit, your personal divine chiropractor. I wonder if it hurts when, you know, he, you know, cracks your back and stuff. Into alignment. So what I want you to do is just sit up as straight as you can and just wait for this faith command because you're going to start to actually feel your spine move into place. You're going to actually start to feel the spine move. So in the name of Jesus Christ. No, oh, brother. 
Okay, so here, here we're now we're commanding spines. Well, this, this could be your spine, so I, you know, I shouldn't be mocking this. Here. I just loose the power of God for divine alignment in your spine right now, and for all the pain to go. There it is. You can start to feel it now. There it is. I can, I can feel it. I'm feeling movement in my own back, which is a confirmation. That's how the Spirit's showing me that someone right now is getting. Maybe you just need to go see a chiropractor. I'm serious. That miracle. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, uh, if you're suffering from um, uh, uh, lack of alignment in your spine, I mean, you, you can claim your divine alignment miracle. Uh, yeah, well, could I get the alignment done on my truck? Um, you know, um, and while I'm at it, could I have a divine lube and oil done on my uh, truck? You know, that would really be helpful. And you save me a few bucks anyway. Okay, last of the uh, the words of knowledge that. And, uh, and sadly, this video has only been viewed 185 times. So, I, you know, again, this is one of our services to uh, the uh, Fighting for the Faith uh, listener audience. The ability for you to, uh, you know, get get maybe your uh, your errant word of knowledge emails directly from the throne of heaven and from uh, and from God the Holy Spirit. So the name of this one is uh, the the brook is dried up and um it's Melissa Fisher again. I have a again. word for Meredith. I was speaking to the Lord and he spoke Meredith Brooks to me and I don't know if that's a full name but he said Meredith and then the word Brooks and then he said the Brooks dried up. Now Meredith what he's saying to you is you feel like for some reason all of your provision is dried up. But with So um you need a divine moisturizer. So uh, Meredith Brooks if uh, if you're feeling uh, that all of your provision is dried up I think what Melissa is trying to say here is is that um, you need to pray for divine moisturizer. Yeah. Lord is saying to you is it is time to move on. Like Elijah in 1 Kings 17, where he was being fed by the ravens and drinking out of the brook, and all of a sudden a famine came and everything dried up. Yeah, all of a sudden God promised the famine, and actually Elijah was the one who ordered the sky to uh, dry up because of false belief in Baal running rampant in Israel. But God had another provisional resource for him as he moved along. And so what God is doing with you is he's moving you on to the next level. And he says, get ready for uncommon blessing. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second here. Melissa, now you're confusing me. Okay. Didn't we just play a video of yours where you were claiming that uh, if you were fatigued or whatever, that you were birthing your next level? I mean, how can God move Meredith Brooks from her dry period to the next level without her having to birth it first? I mean, I, I, these videos are very confusing. <clears throat> we, we continue common blessing it's going to be almost a little bit hard to receive but it is from him so don't push it away but the brook is dried up it's not a bad thing it's a good thing because it's time to move on to the next season and into more uncommon blessing be blessed yeah with your divine moisturizer for your dried up brook okay there you go so again that is a public service that we uh, do from time to time here at fighting for the faith you know I, again I was very sad and discouraged to say that uh, so few people had actually watched any of those videos. I mean, 
And, I mean, if God the Holy Spirit's going to go through all the trouble of talking directly to Patricia King and Melissa Fisher and, and, and for them to produce these videos and put them on the web only to have you know, 300 views, I mean, it's, it's sad, absolutely sad. So, anyway, moving along. From the Christian Post... Headline reads, Las Vegas Megachurch fights foreclosure and seeks bankruptcy. Okay, this is by Alex uh, Maroshko of the uh, Christian Post. Uh, uh, The story reads, uh, the church, the church, that's the name of it, the church, the church at South Las Vegas, known for its outreach to prostitutes in Sin City, has filed for bankruptcy protection. Members of the church agreed not to pay the church's mortgage after they found out that what they owed the bank was more than three times the amount that the church building was worth. Okay. Um, the uh, 23,635-square-foot church building is worth only $2.375 million compared to the uh, $7.653 million owed in, in the mortgage, according to Vegas, Inc., uh, now, cor- correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, don't markets, you know, like, you know, property markets and things like that, they fluctuate. They go up, they go down. We've been in a recessionary period and property values have plummeted. Um, just because your property value has plummeted and, and you were um, not wise enough to purchase it at the bottom of the market, but instead purchase it at the top of the market doesn't mean that the va- the property is useless. <sighs> anyway, <clears throat> so, I mean, uh, homeowners who get stuck in situations like this, generally what they do is they just don't move. They keep paying on their mortgage, and they wait for the market to change. You know, they, markets go up, markets go down, and they go back up again. This is what, you know, anyway. Quote, after much deliberation, the leaders and the congregation said, we don't want our donations to keep going down a black hole with no light at the end of the tunnel, said Pastor Benny Perez to the Christian Post on Wednesday. Um, It's not going down a black hole. It's not like you didn't know the price of the property when you purchased it and got the mortgage in the first place. Man, I mean... Have you been using your facility? Have you been holding church services there? Anyway, so it became a stewardship issue. We stopped making payments on May 1st. Yeah, this is just backwards thinking. Anyway, the 4,000-member church filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection last Friday. Perez says the first uh, bank, the church's largest creditor, took action against the church last month when the bank found out It's planned to default on mortgage payments. So the First Bank filed a lawsuit against the church at South Las Vegas on June 17th, seeking to foreclose the property and appoint someone else to supervise the church's finances. The Las Vegas church didn't know about its upside-down mortgage until it received an appraisal of the property while planning to construct a new worship center. Uh, the church attorney said they tried to negotiate with the bank to reduce the principal down to $2.5 million after they discovered the property's true value, but the bank refused. Well, yeah, right. Exactly. Why should they agree to that? Anyway, at that point, we had to look and say that we cannot expand because of the situation that we are in. The bank is not letting us build the new worship center with cash. We have a, a 53 
uh, $53,000 a month mortgage that we've been making, Perez said. Well, yeah, that's what you agreed to when you purchased the property in the first place. Anyway, the laws. So this is all about the fact that the the, the bank isn't uh, helping them with their expansion. So I mean, heaven forbid that they would have to have maybe you know six or seven services rather than you know however many they have. Anyway, the Las uh, Vegas pastor asserts that the church didn't start this fight with the bank. We knew that if we build the building, it would solve the upside down situation because we would be improving our property and it would add four to five million dollars worth of equity. Perez maintained, which is a gift to the bank, but the bank refused. They want you to pay your mortgage. Anyway, for us, that was unreasonable and illogical. Actually, Pastor Perez, what you're doing seems unreasonable and illogical. That started this whole progression, and we didn't wake up one day and file for Chapter 11, he said. The church at South Las Vegas has several ministries it is well known for, including one that partners with Hookers for Jesus, which reaches out to prostitutes in Las Vegas. The church also provides financial support for Destiny's House, a nonprofit that provides housing and transitioning services to former prostitutes. Church members also helped provide 63,000 pounds of food for a local food pantry last Easter. And currently the church is working with schools in the area that are financially strapped, uh, providing services uh, the schools can't afford, Perez said. In the fir- uh, if First Bank forces us into total foreclosure, it's going to impact our ministries. It's, it, well, they're not forcing you into total foreclosure. Pay your mortgage. It's, you know, it's, it, uh, <sighs> oh, man. All right. Um, we are up on our first break. I'm, I'm going to go you know, take something to calm down. <laughs> No, I'm not. But anyway, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. It's like what not to wear for theology. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. The management of Marty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as 
Rabbi Seitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Seitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet earth don't miss out on getting both rabbi michael zeitler's anointed audio cd sound of the shofar plus his brand new prophetic book why israel is supernatural for a donation of 25 dollars, shipping and handling is included ask for offer number 9081 call or write today Chris Roseboro here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Join our crew today, and thank you for your support. We're back. Warning, listening to this program could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if they're not giving you the goods, the biblical gospel, Christ and him crucified for your sins. Need to remind you all of Fighting for the Faith. This is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute on a monthly basis, $6.95. It's not a lot of money, but uh, it really means a lot to us. And uh, and when you join, uh, there's perks, including the, the books that we make available and things like that. So um, it, it really being a crew member is a, is a great thing. So if, if you don't already support us by being a crew member, visit our website, click on the join our crew button. Of course, if you would like to... Uh, make a one-time contribution, or specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, we're going to move along here, and uh, how do I want to do this? 
I'm going to do this one first. Well, I'm going to read to you a, a, a blog post, an article written by uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller back in February of this year entitled Three Broken Ladders. And I think this is relevant before we go into the Rob Bell piece. But uh, here's what Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado writes. He says, Remember the Tower of Babel? Humanity coming together to build up a tower up to heaven? The project continues today. Our sinful flesh is constantly working and striving up into heaven. Now, Lutheran theologian Adolf uh, Koberly uh, talks about these attempts of man to ascend to heaven as the three ladders. These three ladders are moralism, mysticism, and speculation. <clears throat> Two of these, by the way, apply to... Uh, well, actually, kind of all three apply to Rob Bell in, in some ways. Anyway... Uh, but definitely the mysticism and speculation, you know, he, he has those in spades. Anyway, um, the first ladder is moralism. Moralism is the ladder of the will. The moralist tries to get to heaven by works, efforts, and the living of the good life. Human pride often thinks that it has climbed the ladder of moralism into heaven. Time after time, the question, why will you be in heaven, is answered by the ladder of moralism. Well, I've lived a good life. I've been a good person. Well, this is perhaps what most people think of religion and even the church that the Christian life is trying to be good enough for God. Lord, have mercy. Good enough for God. No, the ladder of moralism is not high enough to reach to heaven. The top of that ladder will only reach the peak of pride or the clouds of despair. No one, no one is saved by ascending the ladder of moralism. The second ladder is mysticism. Mysticism is the ladder of emotions. The mystic thinks that heaven can be reached by an emotional experience. If we sing the song enough times, if we sit in profound silence, if we discipline our soul, we can feel God, experience God, somehow climb the ladder of the emotions into the bliss of heaven. But this ladder, like the ladder of moralism, is woefully short. Searching the depths of the human soul for the flower of divinity, it finds instead the horror and the depth of sin, clinging not just to our flesh, but to our very soul. Mysticism, if it is honest, finds that we are sinners and that we cannot change that on our own. Mysticism, if it is not honest, becomes inflated with its idolatrous pride that thinks, God lives in me. No one is saved by ascending. The ladder of mysticism. The third ladder is speculation or rationalism. Speculation is the ladder of the mind. The ladder attempts to climb into heaven by obtaining perfect knowledge as if salvation is a matter of knowing about God. But what do we know of God that he has not told us? So inquiry into the nature of God apart from his word is like looking into deep darkness and the ladder of the mind tumbles into this despair, often into the prideful despair of atheism and unbelief. No one is saved by ascending the ladder of speculation. Coberly summarizes the three ladders and their result. Moralism, mysticism, speculation, these are the three ladders on which men continually seek to climb up to God with a persistent purpose that it seems nothing can check, a storming of heaven that is just as pathetic in its unceasing efforts as in its final futility. Our sinful flesh is doomed. It cannot escape the idea that it can earn and deserve something from God. But at the same time, it can never accomplish any work that actually does earn or deserve God's favor. These ladders are like treadmills. They occupy us, but they don't get us anywhere. And in fact, 
they will eventually kill us. There's the irony in there, that the tools we think are saving us are the instruments of our own destruction. Salvation is not the result of man's efforts. Salvation is the gift of God. We are saved not because we've gotten up to heaven, but because Jesus came down to us. We are saved not because we've climbed a man-made ladder into heaven, but because Jesus was lifted off of the earth on a cross. Our salvation is not the result of our doing, feeling, or thinking. It is the result of Jesus' suffering, dying, and rising. Christianity is not about man climbing up to God. The exact opposite is true. Christianity is about God coming down to man, coming to our weakness, coming to our sin, coming to our punishment and death, to take our place under the wrath of God so that we might have life eternal. With this understanding of the three broken ladders, we can diagnose the false teaching that we see all around us. When, for example, we hear a preacher telling us that we have to do something to be saved, we can say, that's the ladder of moralism, that's wrong. When we see a church trying to get their members wrapped up in ecstatic emotional experience, we can say, Ah, yeah, that's the ladder of mysticism. I better stay away from that. When we read the science that science has proven that God does not exist, we can say, well, that's rationalism. No one is saved that way. A couple of years ago, I was sitting with Muhammad, the president of Colorado Museum Association, and he wanted to talk about how Islam and Christianity were very similar, uh, how we both believe in a creator and being good, etc. I, I th- Thought I was thinking about law and gospel and the three le- and the three ladders. Muhammad, I said, I think Christianity and Islam are exact opposite. Well, how so? Well, I continued. You say that the whole universe and everything in it exists to serve Allah, right? Yes, that's true. Well, the Bible teaches that we Christians believe that God serves us, died for us, so that we might have life. You can see how I'm thinking about the three ladders, right? I continued. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life for many. Muhammad looked at me for a moment and then said, I'll never forget this. Yeah, well, that's different. Indeed, the gospel is totally different from every man-made religion. Is it the good news that Jesus has done everything for our life and salvation? Let us then jump down off the ladders that we are tempted to climb and rejoice that Jesus has come down to us to serve us with his mercy and and forgiveness and give us eternal life. Amen. Lord's blessings. Pastor Wolfmuller. Great article, and I thought that would be a great, great, great thing to read. Kind of keep that in mind. Now, when he talks about speculation, now he he puts it kind of in the rationalistic uh, category. But what I see in uh, in liberalism is uh, is just an extreme form of rationalism that isn't really exactly atheism. It's kind of like religious uh, speculation, and well. It's a form of rationalism, and there's postmodern versions of it and modern versions of it. And, uh, well, Rob Bell, he engages in all kinds of speculation. I was just recently rereading the book Love Wins for some stuff that I'm working on here. And uh, and just it just struck me at how, how much speculation he truly does engage in. So talking about Rob Bell... Special people change How many lives and live is 
Our uh, Rob Bell update music, and Rob Bell was uh, recently. Rob Bell was recently on the uh, PBS and uh, and uh, discussing heaven and hell. And I wanted to play for you the interview that uh, that appeared on e- on PBS. For, uh, re- their Religion and Ethics News Weekly uh, website has it posted. So uh, let me play this for you, and let's take a listen in and see what Rob Bell has to say about heaven and hell. See if there's some some new data here. Here we go. I can only imagine when all I would do. For millennia, people have been trying to imagine what happens after death. Is there a heaven? Who gets in? And what happens to those who don't? Okay, got to pause there. Um, yeah, we don't have to imagine anything. Uh, Jesus Christ has actually revealed quite a bit, enough that we have a, a you know at least some big block picture understanding of. What's going to happen after death? I think we can trust God's word. No speculation, no imagination needed. Everybody dies. And we want to hope that the people we love will see again. And we want to hope that our own identities and our own consciousness and maybe even our own bodies exist in some other realm after we're gone from this earth. Books trying to provide answers to these age-old questions continue to be bestsellers. One of them, Love Wins, by Michigan megachurch pastor Rob Bell, has ignited an intense new debate, particularly among evangelical Christians. A lot of people, the conception they were handed of the Christian faith is that you go around making judgments. So-and-so, we know for sure, is burning forever in that place. Um, You don't know that. That's speculation. Uh, <laughs> that's like the pot calling the kettle black. Boy, if you've read his book, I mean, uh, Rob Bell is like crazy uh, in the speculation category, like off the charts with the amount of speculation he engages in. Uh, and by the way, I I don't I, I grew up in the church, and I don't know what he's talking about. I was not taught by my pastors in evangelical Christianity to go around making judgments and and you know and say that person's in hell and that person's in hell and yeah, I, uh, it seems like a straw man. Reject the kingdom of God. By the uh, by the way, the the first lady we heard was uh, Lisa Miller, and uh, this is Professor Mary Vandenberg. And uh, she's a, a assistant professor of Christian theology at Calvin Seminary. So, yeah. It doesn't really look all that good for you. According to the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life, an overwhelming majority of Americans believe in life after death. 74% believe in heaven and almost 60% believe in hell. A majority of Americans also believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. 
the exception, evangelicals, who are more likely to say that theirs is the one true faith that leads to eternal life. Yeah, that would be because that's what Jesus said, but, you know. <laughs> Journalist Lisa Miller is author of the book Heaven, Our Enduring Fascination with the Afterlife. It's a mistake to think you can talk about, even talk about God in the Western tradition without talking about heaven, right? How you get to heaven, the question of salvation, is central to Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Evangelicals have been especially certain about their answers, with many saying that people must accept Jesus as their personal savior. Jesus said there are two roads in life. One is the broad road that leads to destruction and judgment and hell. The other is a narrow road that leads to heaven and paradise. That would be Billy Graham, and yeah, he is quoting Jesus correctly, yes. Mary Vandenberg is assistant professor of systematic theology at Calvin Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. There is one sure way to know that you will spend eternal life with God in the presence of God, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Gandhi's in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure. Will only a few select people make it to heaven? And will billions and billions of people burn forever in hell? Bell offers a more expansive view. He's pastor of the non-denomination. Just that sentence. Bell offers a more expansive view. Who's Bell? Has he ascended to heaven? Did he die on the cross and rise again from the dead? Where did he get his information from? Mars Hill Bible Church just outside Grand Rapids, which has some 10,000 weekly attenders. He's also a popular speaker whose videos have a huge international following among younger evangelicals. For me, interacting with countless people over the years who literally are carrying around an image, God is not good. And God is not good because my grandmother died. And at the funeral, the pastor wanted us all to know for sure that my grandma was burning in torment forever. Bell points to scriptures where Jesus says... He's really, that happens all the time? <sighs> Serious. Um, again, he's arguing... Notice that that was an argument from his personal experience. The question is, what has God revealed in his word? It's restoring all things and drawing all people to himself. And Jesus tells stories in which the key character doesn't give up on, on whatever is lost. Um, and I think we should take that seriously. I don't know what God has in mind, but I do know that this story that Jesus tells causes us to pause before we make any of those sorts of judgments. Be very careful because God may be up to something way, way bigger than you've ever been able to comprehend. Mm, yeah, I'm sure God, I'm actually quite certain that God is up to way more than I can possibly comprehend. I mean, after all, he created the universe, and uh, I, I'm finite, and he's infinite, um, and he's all-powerful, and I ain't. And God does not come to me for counsel on you know things that he should be doing. I'm sure he's up to quite a bit more than I could possibly imagine, but that doesn't change the fact that he has clearly revealed in his word specific information that Rob Bell seems to be attacking or just, well, quietly setting aside. Heaven, Bell says, is not a faraway place, but a renewal of the earth that begins here and now. 
Bell believes the spectrum of people who will be part of it is wide and expansive. Hell, he says, is a consequence of choosing not to be part of God's massive embrace. God is throwing a party, and everybody's invited. But if you don't want to come, you are given that option. And in one of the most controversial parts of his book, Bell takes issue with the traditional Christian teaching that death ends any opportunity to make that choice. And so a 17-year-old... Wait, 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 wait. <clears throat> He takes issue with the traditional Christian teaching, the tra- the traditional Christian teaching that that uh, death ends any chance. Um, where where did where did Christians get that? And, and does is anyone have any idea? I mean, did Christians just speculate that? Did they just um um did that just come out of the sky? You know, or maybe it was uh, maybe it was a pope. Uh, who said that? Uh, it, it, you, what do you think? I mean, where where did Christians get this idea that uh, that well, you know, death is the end, and you know, you live, and then you face judgment? Where, where do you think the Christians got that from? Answer: Hebrews chapter nine, verse twenty-seven. They got this out of God's word. God's word, God the Holy Spirit, inspired these words to be written. Are you ready? Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Right. Got it? So, Bell, I mean, I just love the way they phrase these things. Bell is challenging the traditional Christian teaching. and No, he's not. He's challenging what the Bible teaches, because Christians don't just make up their own theologies. Atheist dies. God will punish this 17-year-old atheist forever. Yep. So 17 million years from now, God will be tormenting and punishing this 17-year-old atheist. Yep. And this is okay with God. Yep. That's how it is. And, and for me, it just seems like, I don't know, it doesn't, it's not compelling. That <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's just not compelling. And it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. Yeah, this is what the scriptures say, Rob. You're a Christian pastor. It's you're supposed to be. doesn't seem to be what Jesus was talking about. Maybe we can think about those things, and maybe we can wonder about those things. But the Bible's pretty— Okay, I, I got to stop. I got to stop. He said— it doesn't sound to me like what Jesus was talking about. Doesn't sound to me like that's what Jesus was talking about. Well, let's take a look at some of the words of Jesus. If you have your Bible, um, let's let's open up and take a look at some passages. You know where Jesus is speaking. You know in the red letters. So if you have your Bible, flip on over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter thirteen. Gospel of Matthew, chapter thirteen, and let me see where I want to pick up from here. Um. Verse 24, Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to them, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, Well, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, 
Well, then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, no, 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 no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, that's Jesus. He's telling a parable that includes something about, you know, the, the, that sounds like the judgment. Now, the disciples didn't get it. Okay, verse 36, the disciples uh, are going to come to Jesus and ask him to explain that parable, the parable of the field and the weeds. So he left, uh, when he left the crowds, went into the house, the, his disciples came to him saying, can you explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field? He answered, all right, the one who sows the seed is the son of man. That would be Jesus. The field, that is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and he will throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, okay, I mean, that's, that's just pretty straightforward. And so, you notice Rob Bell in this interview, you know, he says, so So an eighth, 17-year-old atheist dies and goes to hell and he's there for 17 billion years. Yeah. Doesn't sound like the story Jesus was telling. My question is, really, what stories of Jesus is he reading then? Because the, Jesus tells the parable and then to eliminate all bizarre speculative interpretations, he himself personally interprets the text so um and his interpretation he makes it like perfectly clear that lawbreakers and all causes of sin are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth now if you're thinking okay well wow um it doesn't sound like uh, anything Rob Bell's describing, well, yeah, exactly, it doesn't. Let me tell you another story that Jesus told, okay? Matthew twenty-five thirty-one. When the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. You'll notice here that in this story in Matthew 25, it has a par- it, 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 this is a parallel to the parable of the weeds because Jesus describes in the parable of the weeds the close of the age. And he said the angels will gather everybody up and they're going to be judged, right? So when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry. You gave me food. 
I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Well, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when we did not... And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these, the the goats, they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, in his book, Love Wins, Rob Bell tries to make the argument that, no, 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 this is eternal punishment here doesn't mean eternal punishment. It just means uh, a short uh, and intense experience of corrective punishment on the part of God. It, which is funny because verse 46, there's a parallel set up. These will go away to eternal punishment, the righteous into eternal life. Okay. Um, the same Greek word, ionion, there is used for eternal punishment as well as eternal life. So the one who, like Rob Bell, tries to make the claim that, oh, no, 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 eternal here doesn't mean forever and eternal. No, no, no. It just means a, a short and, ex- uh, and uh, an intense period of time. Well, then that means that, uh, that Jesus said to the sheep, come into, you know, the, but the righteous will go into a short but intense period of time that's called life. It's not really life forever. It's not really eternal life. It's just a short and intense life. That's that's, that's really good. Yeah, completely falls flat. So remember, I mean, Rob Bell here was basically saying it didn't sound like the story that, that Jesus was telling. Let me play again the relevant portion of this video. So, God will punish this 17-year-old atheist forever. Yep. So 17 million years from now, God will be tormenting and punishing the 17-year-old atheist. Yep. And this is okay with God. Yep. That's how it is. And, and for me, it just seems like, I don't know, it doesn't, it's not compelling. That doesn't seem to be what Jesus was talking about. Maybe we... Yeah, again, really, it doesn't seem to be what Jesus is talking about when I just gave you two full-blown sections of what Jesus was talking about. Sounds exactly like what Jesus was talking about. By the way, here's another section of scripture which was inspired by the, you know, by God himself to be written, in fact, kind of commanded by Jesus to be written to the, by the apostle John. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Here we go. Verse 9. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, "If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever 
and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast's beast and its image, whoever receives the mark of its name. Again, this is this is what the scripture says. So he, he got Rob Bell basically just making an unfounded assertion. Doesn't sound like the story that Jesus said, was talking about. Uh, but then he doesn't actually deal with the text that Jesus was talking about, or he reinterprets them using a speculation to try to, you know, blunt what the text clearly says. Let's continue. We can think about those things, and maybe we can wonder about those things. But the Bible's pretty clear that when the end comes, that's the end. You don't. Have- yeah, she's right. It's it's not only pretty clear. It's like unambiguous. Have a second chance. Now, might there be? Could God do that? I don't know of any um, theologian that would say God couldn't. God can do whatever God wants to do. Um, But what does the Bible say? The biblical text doesn't indicate this at all. Vandenberg says while she believes Bell raises some interesting questions, she's concerned that he's lifting out a few particular verses without taking the full biblical narrative into account. Right, exactly. I'm uncomfortable with the way he frames things um, in the book that make it sound like, sort of like, don't worry about it because it's just going to be okay. And I'm not convinced that the Bible says that. I'm fairly convinced that the Bible says, if you reject me, I'll reject you. Some evangelicals say Bell doesn't give enough importance to the passages where biblical authors describe God's judgment towards sin. When they talk about God's great love, it's always set against the backdrop of God's righteousness, God's wrath, God's holiness. I think what happens for many people is they heard about the judgment before the love. But if you start with the love and the judgment flows out of that, God's love is for us to flourish in God's good world. For us to flourish in God's good world, judgments have to be made. Well, that then, now that puts judgment in its proper place. Hmm. Did you hear what he just did there? He took judgment, okay, God's judgment of the world, courtroom judgment, and he changed the meaning of the word to, well, you got to make good, you got to make good sound judgments here in life. Listen, listen to this again. It's breathtakingly, I mean, it's just, this is just snake-like in, in its deception. What happens for many people is they heard about the judgment before the love. But if you start with the love and the judgment flows out of that, God's love is for us to flourish in God's good world. For us to flourish in God's good world, judgments have to be made. (laughs) In order for us to flourish in God's good world, judgments have to be made. (sighs) Wow. That then, now that puts judgment in its proper place. Many evangelicals have been severe in their condemnation of Bell. Some even call them a heretic. We care about people and people who have grown up in the church who have sung these same songs who are being won over by somebody who's produced great videos and is a good communicator but is ultimately teaching a false gospel. What made people mad about Rob Bell was that he calls himself a conservative evangelical and he believes in a much looser idea of heaven and salvation than conservative evangelicals traditionally that's putting it generously. Oh, it's a looser, <laughs> looser version, right? Yeah. Believe in. So if he had called himself an Episcopalian, for example, nobody would have batted an eye. Right. Yeah, the problem, Lisa Miller's kind of hit on it. The problem is, is that Rob Bell has pitched his NUMA videos to, uh, you know, evangelical Protestant youth groups. 
and which would you know make if you're going to do that you need to be one of them and and hold to the doctrines and beliefs that they hold to he's attacking them Miller says the conversation itself isn't new, but the fact that it's taking place so openly within evangelicalism is. This is a radical upheaval of that entire worldview. Then what does that do to your doctrine, to your creeds, to your worldview, to your... It ends up shipwrecking your faith because the gospel doesn't make any sense then. Wait, to your, to your mission for evangelism. What do you need to teach people if... They're going to get in anyway. Right. It's a real theological struggle. No, it's not. It's, it's plain. It's, it's real simple. Rob Bell ain't telling the truth. Miller says Bell has particular resonance among young evangelicals who increasingly have friends from different faith traditions. And increasingly know less and less about the Bible because they're being entertained into hell. And that's precisely what troubles conservatives. And I think that's why we have to talk about this, because we're very concerned about the loss of the gospel. Not just getting a doctrine wrong, but the loss of the gospel in this. In June, the Southern Baptist Convention voted to reaffirm its belief in the reality of hell as a, quote, eternal conscious punishment for those who don't accept Jesus. Bell says he wants people to see that Jesus' ultimate message was about love, not just avoiding hell. Jesus didn't come along and say, you don't want to be a part of that thing, do you? No, he came along and said, trust me, something big is going down. Here, here's a taste. Uh, yeah, that's kind of funny. Uh, the, the scriptures say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what the scriptures say, Rob. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> He says he's not bothered by those who accuse him of inciting a dangerous conversation. It seems to me like the church would be the place that would lead the way in having dangerous conversations. Uh, The job of the church is to proclaim the word and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, not have dangerous conversations. I mean, isn't that what faith is? And the conversation isn't ending anytime soon. Several more books about heaven and hell are being released over the next few weeks. I can only imagine. Okay. Anyway, so you get, you got what's going on there. Now, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears really quick, and I want to uh, read uh, a, a, a William Swirla's answers to the uh, to the question: How can Jesus be the only way? This is from the uh, White Horse Inn blog uh, in from their basic apologetics series, How Can Jesus Be the Only Way? Pastor William Swirla writes, at the issue is the scandal of particularity, that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except for by him. That's what it says in John chapter 14, verse 6. Statements like these would be hubris at best, insanity at worst, except for the fact that Jesus died on a cross and bodily rose from the dead. That is why the Apostle Paul makes the bodily resurrection of Jesus as a historic fact, the linchpin of his apologetic. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And if Jesus did not rise bodily from the dead, we could not be sure of any of his claims or the claims of his apostles. They could easily be the work of madmen or ambitious religious zealots. The bodily resurrection of Jesus, a historical fact established by the testimony of witnesses who saw him, touched him, heard him, ate with him, validates Jesus' claim to be the way, the truth, and the life. 
The Buddha didn't rise from the dead. Muhammad didn't rise from the dead. No one else but Jesus died and rose. This means that we have to take all of his claims seriously or we will be living in denial of a plain fact of history. What often lies behind this question is failure to apprehend the paradox that salvation in Christ is both inclusive and exclusive at the same time. And so people charge God with being unfair. Jesus is the inclusive Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who drew all into his death when he was lifted up on the cross. He is the expiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. At the same time, Jesus is exclusively the Savior of the world. The world has no other Savior because the world has no other death that atones for sin. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And the thing is, is that uh, people can reject God's kindness. People can and do reject uh, what God has said. And this is important. Let me read to you uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 1 and 2. Working together with him, that's God, then we appeal to you, not to, uh, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Or Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's grace. Today is the, is the, is the year of the Lord's favor, if you would. All of that comes to a close on the day when Jesus returns in glory to judge both the living and the dead and open the books and separate the sheep and the goats and the wheats and the tares. Remember, the weeds end up in the fiery furnace. That's where the goats go, prepared for the devil and all of his angels. And the paradox, the, the interesting irony of all of this is, is that it's not God who's at fault. You'll notice that in Rob Bell's uh, approach, he tries to put the, pl- the blame on God. What kind of God is that? But the thing is, is that we're the ones who are the sinners. We're the ones who've rebelled against God. The blame doesn't lie on God. The blame rests on men who continue to refuse God's kindness, to refuse God's mercy, to refuse his pardon. And that's going to be the subject of our sermon when we come back on the other side of the break. Uh, We're going to be listening to a sermon by Pastor uh, Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley entitled, Kindness Rejected. All right, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Because only good theology leads people to heaven. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? 
Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be and pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. And I picked a sermon that I thought would go along with our theme for today in talking about Rob Bell and what he's been saying. If you have your Bible, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 10. Pastor Charmley will be preaching from the Old Testament. Here we go. Ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Bethel Evangelical Free Church, Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent in the United Kingdom. Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley presiding. He will be preaching on 2 Samuel chapter 10. The name of the sermon is Kindness Rejected. Kindness Rejected. I mean, just those two words together, uh, juxtapose those with, quote, love wins. You realize, oh, yeah, the problem's not with God and his love or his kindness. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know what? Let me just, uh, although I love this part. All right, yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, got distracted. So without any further ado, let's just dive right into the sermon itself. Here is Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, Kindness Rejected. This evening is found in 2 Samuel chapter 10, chapter we read from, and verse 2. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. The kindness of God is a wonderful subject. The love, the grace, the mercy of God, these are subjects that we can contemplate 
and will contemplate for all eternity if we are God's people. This shall be the subject of the everlasting song, the love of God. We sing sometimes at communion that hymn that speaks and says, When I stand midst yonder shining throng, and on fair Canaan's coast my Saviour see, I'll add my chorus to the swelling song, He loved me and gave himself for me. And yet the fact of the matter is that the kindness of God is so often neglected and refused and hated. And these two chapters, chapters 9 and 10 of 2 Samuel, give us two very different cases in which David sought to show kindness to somebody and to show God's kindness. In chapter 9 we have that wonderful story of how he sought out someone from the house of Saul to show kindness to. In this chapter, chapter 10, we see how David sought to show kindness to a man who repaid that kindness with wickedness and with hatred. The kindness of God is offered to the world in Christ Jesus. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the message is to be proclaimed to all creation that Christ Jesus receives sinners. For this man, the Son of God, receives sinners and eats with them. But not everybody accepts the message. And there is such a thing as sin. And there is such a thing as the wrath of God. There is such a thing as judgment and as eternal punishment. These are not subjects that we relish as Christians. They should not be subjects that we relish. If we proclaim the wrath of God, it is so that we may say, now flee from the wrath to come. If we tell people that the wrath of God is coming, it is that we may say, now escape to yonder mountain. For Christ is willing to receive whoever comes to him. Here we have what happens when kindness is rejected. Today, says the psalmist, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And here is a warning from history. What happens when hearts are hardened? So we have, first of all, in this chapter, ambassadors... Then we have an alliance, and thirdly we have action that is taken. Ambassadors, alliance, and action are our three points. First we have the ambassadors. The king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanun his son reigned in his place, a perfectly normal succession. King dies. Now, the last time we heard of this king, he was besieging Jabesh Gilead and he proposed this covenant, this peace treaty in which 
the men of Jabesh Gilead would all agree to have one of their eyes put out, their right eye put out. He was not a nice man. And yet it seems he had shown kindness to David when David was on the run. When David was escaping from Saul, it seems that King Nahash showed kindness to him. And so hearing the death of this man who had been a most unlikely help, David says, because this man helped me, I am going to show kindness to his son. David, in his best days, in the days when he was closest to God, reflects God's dealings with mankind in his dealings with other people. The basis of it all is kindness and grace and love and mercy. He was not a harsh tyrant of a king, he was quite the reverse. He was a loving king. A man who sought to show kindness because God had shown kindness. A man who sought to reflect to others the kindness of God because after all, he was God's king. Therefore he must show people what God is like. And God offers his kindness to everybody. And he has his ambassadors whom he sends into the world to call upon the world and to proclaim that none need perish because there is redemption in Christ that is enough for everybody. There are no limits to the merit of Christ's atonement. There are none to whom we can say You may desire to be saved, but God will not save you if you desire. No. See, the thing about the kindness of God is the kindness of God goes to people who don't desire salvation. But God moves in the hearts of men. Goes to a world of sinners. Who is there seeks after God? There is none who seek after God. God seeks after sinners. He is the good shepherd who finding one of the sheep is missing goes into the wilderness to seek the lost sheep. This is the kindness of God. God might punish the whole world. He might have left the whole world to perish in its sin. Left the whole world to perish in rebellion against him. And yet he didn't. He sent his son into the world to save sinners. And not to condemn. And he offers this grace, this kindness to everybody. Whoever will, let him come. David offered kindness. Now of course, the kindness you offer as a king to another king is different from the kindness a king would offer to somebody who wasn't a king. At this point, it's he sends his ambassadors to be at the royal funeral, to give the regards of Israel. And in the ancient world, as in the modern world, an ambassador is protected from harm. You don't attack the ambassadors of a friendly nation. Ambassadors go in, and ambassadors have security. Hanun did not treat the ambassadors as he should have. 
Hanun instead listened to the princes of the people of Ammon who said, Do you think David really honours your father because he sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, spy it out and to overthrow it? Now of course the suspicion was false. Wicked men very often see in others that which is in themselves. These men who had no idea of kindness, no idea of grace, no idea of mercy, who believed in gods that were capricious, looked at David and they said, well, he must be like us. They could not see any better, anything better in another than what was in themselves. Incidentally, we see here part of the effect of idolatry. If men believe in gods who are capricious and cruel, then they, will believe, then they themselves will be cruel and capricious. And they will look with suspicion at the world outside. The pagans, the ancient pagans of the Near East, looked on their gods as cruel and quarrelling among themselves. And so they themselves became cruel. And not understanding kindness themselves, they could not think of kindness in anybody else. And so Hanu listened and brought the ambassadors and subjected them to this humiliating treatment. In the ancient Near East, in Israel, men wore, all men wore full beards, and it was a sign of maturity and of wisdom. And so to shave off half a man's beard was to humiliate him, to say he was only half a man. And he cut off their garments in the middle at the buttocks. They wore long flowing robes, equivalent to removing a man's trousers today. The same humiliation. And the aim was to insult them, to mock them, to ridicule them, and send them home and say to David, this is what we think of you, David. And this is what we think of your nation, and this is what we think of your God. They did not simply say, go home, thank you very much, but we don't want you. They humiliated the ambassadors. They showed their hatred of King David. See, the world is not content to say to God, no thank you. The world is an enemy of God. We saw this morning the Lord Jesus' words that the, the world, the world system, the world as man looking upon himself, curbing upon himself, hates God. That's the nature of sin. It's not simply man is indifferent, but man hates God. It's been said of the new atheists, men like Richard Dawkins, that they are certain of two things. First of all, there is no God. And secondly, they hate him. And you read their books, you listen to what they say, and it's absolutely true. However much they assert there is no God. They will then add, they cannot help adding, and I hate him. The hatred 
of the fallen world against God is terrible to behold. And you look at what men do to God's servants. We have the spectacle at the moment in Pakistan of a major political party trying to ban the Bible because they say it insults Islam. They want to ban the Bible to silence the messengers. And we see how they attack Christians, how they mock Christianity. So the world is. It's not that Christianity is treated with total indifference, but with hatred and mockery. Why, Arthur Psalmist? Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. There is the hatred of God and the hatred is shown on his ambassadors, on the martyrs who suffer for Christ's sake. And of course, not only in those who are killed and persecuted like that, but though the mockery that comes to the Christian who dares to openly say at work, yes, I am a Christian, who dares to say, yes, I believe that this old book, the Bible, is true. And this book is not simply an old book, but is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and there's a power in the book because it's God's book and there is a mockery that comes the hatred and scorn of the world you cannot believe in such a God they say by his grace by his grace I do a man is, re is in rebellion against God the first temptation was this you will be like God's and so man ever seeks to cast away from God, to reject the one who has made us. So then we come to the alliance. David shows his concern for his ambassadors by saying, stay at Jericho until your beards have grown back and you can present yourselves at court without the humiliation And notice that David does not attack Hanun. We're not told then David gathered the army and attacked. We're told Hanun gathered all his allies together. That it is David who is sitting back and watching. And Hanun and his allies who are busily getting ready, making sure they're all ready, they've got the armies, they have their troops all gathered together ready to fight. Gathering the allies ready for the war. Rebellion loves company. Sin loves company. To hear others buttressing your rejection of God. It is a most bizarre spectacle to see radical Muslims borrowing from radical atheists anything 
to attack God. Anything to attack Jesus Christ. After all, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were deadly enemies and they were both deadly enemies of the Herodians. And none of them really liked the Romans. They all gathered together against the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an unholy hatred of God and therefore these unholy alliances come together to oppose the one through God. Whatever it is, we will accept it. Whatever it is, man will seek to oppose God. And there are so many things, there are very few people in the world who are satisfied with atheism. Most want some sort of spirituality, some sort of religion. You see, the alliance, we're told, the Syrian, that Ammon had, they hired the Syrians of Beth-Rehob, the Syrians of Zobah, the king of Makkah, and Ishtob. This great alliance against Israel. All the soldiers they can get hold of. We're told later on they had chariots and cavalry. Good having tanks today. They had the best technology. They bring whatever they can together to fight the people of God. Oh, there are many arguments that people muster against God. Most of them contradict one another. But any port in a storm, anything to attack God with, any argument. So the men will bring up and they will say, well, what about the Spanish Inquisition? We reply, the Inquisition was directed against Protestants and against Jews. I once had an argument, well, a conversation, shall we say, with a Muslim, who said, ah, you know, they, they hate this book. And he said, ah, in the Middle Ages they wouldn't let the people read the Bible, because they knew it was false. I said, no. They wouldn't let the people read the Bible because it proved they were false. It proved that inquisitions were wrong. It proved that Christ never set up a sacrificing priesthood. Any argument. As long as it is against God. And men think that they can win, but there is one factor that must be kept in mind that is never remembered by those who ally themselves against God. It is this. It is God himself. We see Joab, Israel's general, with a very small professional army. And when Joab saw the battle line was against him, before and behind he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And then he says this, Be of good courage, verse 12, and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. See, that was what the people of Ammon and the Syrians had not thought of. They hadn't thought of God. Because, you see, they had no idea, no understanding of who God is. But he is not 
like the gods of the nations who are idols, but that he is living and powerful, that he is over all, that he is working his purposes out. There is no such thing as chance, strictly speaking. There is only the will of God, for God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. No one says to God, what are you doing? But God is in control. And yes, men attack his people. Men fight against his book. Men fight against him, but God is over all. Joab says this, Let may the Lord do what is good in his sight. And he directs us to this, not to any specific word of God, because God hasn't given a specific word about the battle. God hasn't said how the battle would go. He says this to his people, Look to God himself, to the one who has spoken, the one who is working in all things. The one who is over all. And that is what the world has not thought of. That God is. And that God knows what he is doing. And so we come to the action. Joam sets up this strategy at the battle at Rabah, the Ammonite capital. city today, by the way, is called Amman, capital of Jordan. And he says, I will take the best of the men and I will attack the larger force of the Syrians and you take, says to his brother Abishai, you take the rest and attack the city, attack the men outside the city. Vastly outnumbered. Humanly speaking, the victory has to go with the forces who have surrounded them. But of course, humanly speaking, Men do not take God into account. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. When the people of Ammon saw the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab returned to the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. A walled city requires a siege. He had no siege equipment. He beaten them. And yet he left them time. He didn't go straight back to attack them. He left them time to send their own ambassadors to seek peace. He left time. Because David would have him do that. Because God would have him do that. God is merciful and long-suffering. He is long-suffering. His patience is amazing. And yet, how men abuse it. The Apostle Peter, speaking to Christians who were suffering 
in all manner of ways. He says it is not that God has forgotten the promise that Jesus is coming back. Oh, we hear that, don't we? Look at what Harold Camping said. American radio preacher who has been silenced, by the way. He had a stroke. And he will never speak again on the radio. God deals with false prophets. Sometimes by taking them out of the way by death. Sometimes by stopping their mouths. And it seems that Harold Camping has spoken his last. A man who depended on the radio can no longer speak well enough to be understood over the radio. The people look and you see, they say, well, look at Harold Camping. Where is the promise of God's coming? Where is the promise of Christ's coming? Nothing happened on May the 21st. Of course, nothing happened on May the 21st because Christ did not say he was coming then. And it is most probable that nothing will happen on October the 21st. Christ did not say that. Christ has said simply, I am coming. Why has he not yet come? It is because he is patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. The offer of the mercy of God goes out into all the earth even now. And he calls men and women to repent. He calls all men everywhere to repent. And he has spared so often. You look at how long a man, used the example already, a man like Harold Camping, 1988 he was removed from a teaching position, removed from teaching Sunday school at his church because he was teaching not... He was teaching against the Bible. 1988. And he was not struck down at once. 1994, he said, I think Christ is coming back this year. And he was not struck down at once. 2011. He said, Christ coming back this year. And he's lost his voice. But there is still a, an opportunity given to repent and believe the gospel. If God strikes, if God declares his wrath against sin in this world, it is for this, that men may flee from the wrath to come. He gives an opportunity to repent, but there is an end to that time. There is a time coming when Christ shall come again. In the Revelation, it does not say that anyone will cry out in mercy on that day when he comes in judgment. But it says that they will cry out to the rocks and to the hills to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. Even then, you see, even when he comes in glory to judge the living and the dead, they will not seek mercy but they will seek to escape, but there is no escape. Heaven and earth will flee away when he comes to reign. And the sinner who was run from God day by day, 
will find there is no hiding place. They are left before the God whom they hate. And they will have no excuse. But now his mercy calls us to wash away our sin. Now his mercy cries out, Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now he calls. Now he cried out, See the judgments that have fallen already. See the declaration that the day of his wrath, the great day of his wrath is coming. And now Christ says, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now he calls us to look to him. Now he calls us to the cross of Calvary. Now he calls us to salvation. Now he calls us to look at Nahash, to look at Hanun, to look at the Ammonites, and to see the uselessness, the pointlessness of fighting against God. For what happens? But you see how the Syrians did. The Syrians saw they'd been defeated by Israel. What did they do? Did they sue for peace? No, they said, we'll gather a bigger army. We'll put our best general in charge of it. And we'll send it against Israel. Then, then it is that David himself, God's anointed king, appears in the field. And that great army, they thought would trample down Israel gives glory not to Syria but to God gods of the Syrians are disgraced shown to be no gods the God of Israel is shown to be God over all and moreover it leads to David's empire expanding. David was not an expansionist. You will look in vain at the wars where David went out to expand his territory. He didn't. The territory expanded because others attacked him. We are not able to take away from the glory of God by our sin. Do not think that human sin, that human rebellion will take away from God's glory. For God will be glorified first in the salvation of sinners by the grace of God but he will also be glorified in the damnation of those who fought against him. His justice and his mercy will be glorified on that day. There will be those who are raised to everlasting life and joy and those who are raised to everlasting shame and destruction. And in all, God will be glorified. You cannot take away from the glory of God by your disobedience. For he will be glorified in judgment. You can take away from your own happiness, from your own blessedness, by refusing the mercy of God as it is held out to you. By refusing Christ Jesus, you rob only yourself. Flee from the wrath to come. Make submission, kiss the Son, while he still holds out to you the scepter of his mercy.
and still calls you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Be wise, says the psalmist, be wise. God's kindness is offered to you now in Christ Jesus. The cross is salvation to all who look to it. And yet, yet so many reject it because they prefer their own glory and think to fight against God and against his king. All who fight against God's king, who finally reject him, shall be cast into everlasting destruction, everlasting fire. All the glory will be his, but now he offers mercy. Now he says, look and be saved. Now is the time to make submission. Now is the time to surrender and to give all to the Lord Jesus. Cast yourself upon him. Give up your own ideas, your own sovereignty, and look unto him who is over all and who is the only saviour of sinners, unto Christ, by whom alone we can have peace with God and everlasting life. Oh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, for so he has promised. Amen. Amen. No, I don't want to add anything to that. Kindness rejected. Kindness rejected. It's not that God isn't merciful. It's not that God isn't kind. It isn't that God isn't loving. He is loving, kind, and merciful. But men are evil. And they reject his kindness. And they hate God. And God is also just, punishing sins and iniquities, punishing those who persist in the rebellion and persist in refusing to be forgiven and pardoned by their great God and King. Yeah, I don't hear Rob Bell talking about that. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith, this is Listener Support Radio, and we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to pay our bills so we can keep bringing you this important radio broadcast. If you don't already partner with us, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. It's $6.95 a month, and that's a great way to support us. We're still in the middle of our drive to get more people onto our crew. Um, we still got 115 or so left to go. <laughs> and... You know, to, to reach our goal, and uh, that's kind of an important milestone, especially during these lean summer months. So if you don't support us, visit our website and uh, click on the Join Our Crew button. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you do so by clicking on the Donate button or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. You can email me my email address, talkbackandfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, uh, Pirate Christian, or um, yeah, email uh, Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. I got vacation on the brain. Till the following week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.